0: Hello and welcome to our seventh in the world sustainability collectives purpose planet podcast series. Our website is at https colon double forward slash world sustainability collective, all one word lowercase.com. And you can find us on Twitter. That's at capital W S C lower-worldwide lowercase all one word, and on Facebook at World Sustainability Collective, all one word lowercase two. And finally on LinkedIn at LinkedIn.com forward slash company forward slash world dash sustainability dash collective forward slash. And they are all lowercase. Today we're talking with Anna Houston. Anna runs her own consultancy called ACM Consultancy Services Limited 2017. And it was founded in 2017, and she also runs ACM Global Sustainability Action CIC, which she founded in 2022. Her professional website is at uh, www.acmconsultancyservices.com, services.com, or one word lowercase. And you can find Anna on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Anna. Dash Houston dash 04 B93835. If you remember all that, you're best a man than me. Welcome, Anna. How are you?
1: Hi, Bill. It's great to be here. I'm very well, thank you.
0: Good, good. So, Anna, um, you came out of university, I believe, in 2006, and you've packed a great deal into 17 years since then. So, what was your career journey like that resulted in you deciding in 2017 to form your own consultancy?
1: Yes, well, it's, it's been a long journey, Bill. Um, <laughs> um, it's been very varied um, and adaptable over the years. So I've got 20 years sort of professional experience and uh, around about 17 or 18 in environmental sustainability since graduating. Um, so I suppose it really all kicks off with um, a Geography degree, a Scientific Geography degree. Um, and I think that it was the, the options of environmental risks and hazards and sustainability that really sort of jumped out at me and got me passionate. Um, we also got the opportunity to go abroad to Zanzibar in Africa, um, mm. connected to that work, and also um, more local to home, um, Dartmoor National Park. Um, so I really post-university I kind of really took those foundations and thought where do I want to go with this what really enthuses me and gets me at my core Um, and I think the answer was basically sort of conservation and environmental work Um, and at that point I would say quite a difficult market to get into Um, sort of underpaid or uh, unavailability in green jobs Um, so what I actually chose to do was go down the grassroots sort of practical route and really get those foundations in place. Um, and you know, that, that was work such as um, conservation work at Yarna Woods for Natural England, um, which was really, really good um, guided walks and um, transit surveys, that sort of thing. Um, and then I kind of um, managed to find a contract at Paint and Zoo, actually, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, I was in the research team working with, um, alongside PhD students, but because I wanted that experience on the ground, I wasn't actually doing it through a PhD. I think there's a lot to be said for on the job experience, Um, obviously not taking away from anything else, but it was really good to get in there and actually just do the work. Um, So I did a lot of upskilling and research um, and had my guidelines actually published for the conservation of a species, which was sort of good for the confidence. So I think that was sort of the really, the kind of passionate ethos side of things, the conservation and the making a difference. Um, But I got really interested in talking to people about technical and science and research skills and analysis. And I thought, I kind of want to challenge myself whilst doing the things I love. So I kind of went more into the, um, at that point it was difficult to stay in one organization and uh, excel. So, because the contracts were sort of shorter uh, availability wise at that point, I chose to kind of go out and up rather than straight up. So, I kind of got jobs at the Environment Agency uh, looking at research and analysis. Uh, I also worked for Landmark Information Data Group, which looked at geospatial environmental data. Um, so, everything had the environment sustainability theme, but it was sort of looking at different niches within it. Um, there's also a carbon assessment for a cooperative car company. So I think, you know, the principle of it was that I'd always craved the variety and I could get all these skills from different areas of environment sustainability and bring them home into a really good set of skills. Um, so that, I think that's what, what I really appreciated about my beginnings. Um, yes, yeah, so from there, um, having that grassroots knowledge, I sort of thought, well, I do want something permanent, needs a little bit of stability, um, but I want to do something I love. So how can I get paid for that properly? (laughs) So I thought, you know, actually, environmental consultancy is the sort of area of the things that I'm working on. I'm looking at impacts, I'm looking at improving the environment, I'm looking at education, um, and I'm looking at sort of doing that in an environment where you're able to stay in it for the long-term. So it was sort of a case of finding consultancies you'd want to work for and where they were located. Um, I don't know if you know Bill, but a lot of the time, a lot of those are in kind of London or Surrey. It's, it's there are there are branches uh, further in the southwest where I was from, but a lot of the green jobs seem to be up up centered around there.
0: And do you, w- when you first started out and you were doing all these various jobs, you're obviously building a, a, an exceptionally good, wide-ranging skill set by mm. doing that. Um, yes. But would you say that? in those years that, in fact, jobs around sustainability were very few and far between?
1: Exactly. It's something I champion today in a lot of strategies that if you are to create an environmental movement, you need to create a multiplier effect. So it's very much about upskilling. So you learn and then you teach someone else the skills who can teach someone else the skills. So I think nowadays I'd like to see more movement, more green jobs, but I also take it as a personal responsibility to upskill people in new areas of environmental consultancy. I I think it's paramount to us progressing the sustainability movement.
0: So you went through this background and you, you did a number of jobs in order to develop your CV as well as, as as your skill What, what made you decide that you wanted to be self-employed and and do it yourself rather than work for other people? It wasn't just that there was a lack of opportunity. Um, What was it?
1: Well, I I then, um, obviously from from the grassroots jobs, spent about sort of uh, 15, 18 years in the consultancy environment. So moving up um, through departments because the journey doesn't stop there. Um, Initial um, offerings were contracts three months, six months, nine months. So I had my eye on the department where I wanted to end up and I sort of worked my way there. I worked hard and at lower pay than you perhaps normally accept and a lot of commuting and things from the southwest but as I say it was quite centralised so I I did move to the um, Sussex Surrey areas and commute as well initially. Um, But I think working there went very well. I learned a lot more skills. Um, I always of wanted to deliver more than what i was tasked to deliver i think it's partly curiosity and creativity and partly um sort of proving that you could uh move forward and deliver essentially so um i provided quite a few innovations across roles uh obviously gaining the expertise up to sort of associate environment consultant level working with technical directors and so on managing 150 plus people and budgets etc so, I think in every role that I did, I wanted to end it on a happy note, if you like, uh, is sort of wanting, wanting to deliver. Um, and that stayed with me, really. But I think it was about 2014, um, I actually contracted a really bad bout of food poisoning. Um, and I, shortly after, roundabout, I was diagnosed, well, maybe two years after, I was diagnosed with ME or C- chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm hmm. Uh, so it's actually a disability a neurological disability um and can affect your working patterns essentially so although i had quite an understanding uh, consultant this is sort of three consultancies later it's under sort of three years at each sort of thing um work from home was very new uh flexi working patterns were very new i had managed to secure a little element of both but not to the level of uh my not to the level of how my peaks and troughs worked so for me it was really advantageous to work to my energy that could be at night sometimes Mm -hmm. so not your norm but an actual fact the outcomes and delivery never suffered um and if anything knowing yourself was a real advantage so you could really work to your strengths and really fine-tune what those were I guess um so what I did as well is I started to look around and think I'm working for a purpose, I'm delivering, but it's in a very tight framework. And for me, I want to kind of choose my clients and their ethos. I want to understand whether I can work with their ethos and how far they're willing to move. I want to challenge people. Um, I don't want to be a bum on a seat. I want to use creativity and innovation to deliver actual outcomes. I want to create change and transition people to a better way of working rather than um, deliver the set things from a list that the client's requested. I always want to make the client think about what it is they actually want. And sometimes that has to come through a conversation. They might not actually know what they want.
0: <laughs> I so, think that's very um, true, Anna, very true. I mean, a, lo- a yeah. lot of uh, my clients are the same. Um, they think they know what they want, but actually when you delve into it, it's hidden, it's hidden from them. And it's hidden from other people. So I, I absolutely agree that you need to dig.
1: Absolutely. And the last three years have taught us nothing else, um, nothing more than the fact that things change at a rapid, rapid rate. (laughs) So um, another thing I wanted to do was think, you know, do these clients know what's come out in the last few years? And, you know, I would like to do a bit more CPD and fitting that into very tight schedules and tight uh, bottom lines can be difficult so it actually took sort of eight months purely intentionally to drive my learning and my connections and my networking and build a business of my own that allowed me to work flexibly I'm always champion the four-day weekend if I'm honest but allowed me to work within that flexibly uh, deliver on time and, and to satisfactory and um, successful outcomes so you know, I'll throw my 100%, 100% repeat customer record in there. <laughs> but it, was, okay. it's, it comes from that place of wanting to deliver to um, to create real outcomes that we're all happy with and to collaborate. I did find that the permanent workforce was a little restrictive sometimes in collaboration and partnershiping. So mm-hmm. something I've really driven throughout my organisation is working with other partners, it could be a bigger consultancy or a smaller one, To really collaborate together and upskill one another, particularly we like to go and upskill the bigger consultancies that have less time like like I used to have. And that way you can deliver the best outcome, in my opinion. Um, And, you know, create the passion because you have a little more time for passion. (laughs) Um, I wouldn't say initially building a business, you actually do work quite long hours. But once you've got that framework and those trusted clients in place, that's when you can start to be more creative. Um, and keep on top of emerging patterns.
0: Well, you seem to have been very successful in doing that. And I agree with you in terms of outcomes. I find it very strange in companies that uh, some managers want to see people, as you say, bums on seats. Mm. Uh, I mean, the the key thing is that what you want to actually measure is, is the output uh, and the quality of the output of Either teams or individuals or whatever it may be. And that's exactly what you've defined there, that, that that's your focus is on, is on high quality outcomes. So in terms of your consultancy, Anna, what, what exactly does your consultancy offer your clients?
1: Right. Well, we've got um fundamentally the basis is to, on delivering the UN sustainable <laughs> development goals. So it's having a real understanding of what those are and what each project or organisation, because we deliver to both, can achieve. So we drive the UN goals through Environment and Sustainability Consultancy. That's what we are. Um, We're an SME. And... I think that takes the form of strategy. So we deliver sustainability strategy. That could be a roadmap, it could be a report. We do an excellent interactive roadmap. (laughs) Um, And um, we also uh, drive implementation. So we can take elements of that sustainability strategy through our network of specialists and uh, overall consultants. And we can help deliver the implementation of the ideas that we've had to sort of actually create the action momentum so one thing we're keen to do is not create strategies just to sit in the background we, we want to challenge what we're already doing look at ways it's operationally beneficial and then also from that experience of working consultancy I know what it means to deliver on the ground so it's about having a strategy that actually works on the ground in implementation and helping deliver it um, a lot of our implementation can include things like ISO 14001 environmental management systems. Uh, Sustainability consultancy through implementation, different topics, so carbon reduction, biodiversity net gain, social value, and so on. Um, And it can also mean ESG, so we can sort of really help with the carbon footprinting through our partners, our associate platforms, um, and also our analysis that we ourselves provide and the actions towards a net zero future. Um, so yeah, we, we, we drive the strategy, the ISO, the EIA, the ESG, and then what we do at the end is we provide sustainability reporting if you want it. So you've got your annual report on how well we're doing, what revisions need to be made. I think one of the things I would say is we can come in on one part, or we can come in and drive from the beginning through to the end. So it's really what the preference of the client and ourselves is at the time.
0: And. And uh, are your clients sort of large corporates, or are they uh, small startups, are they medium-sized? Who, who are your clients?
1: So our clients traditionally have been in the infrastructure sector, so they've been in water and environment, so that's anything from smaller flood alleviation schemes that could be natural schemes, through to flood defence, uh, flood asset schemes. Um, and it's also it, the infrastructure side, so linear and non-linear infrastructure, such as rails, highways, pipelines, that sort of thing. So it's, that's looking at, you know, always with the impact assessment head on. So avoidance of impacts, reducing them, mitigating them. And then, you know, the smallest part of the hierarchy, offsetting them. So it's, it's all about um, adaptability across the built environment sector. I think it's about 40% of emissions worldwide, uh, roughly, in the uh, infrastructure uh, built environment sector. Um, so it's a big proportion. You can, what we like to do is, to really concentrate on wider benefits. So it's not just about what are we building with a, with a narrow focus. It's about what does the community need? What key sustainability themes could apply here? And what can we build into our delivery? So we're looking at the sides of what we're building as well, not just down the middle. Um, so that's something we focus on a lot. Um, the other sectors are business to business, so that's something we're growing a lot more with our ESG and our roadmap provision. So we can work with probably more medium sized businesses at the moment. We are very open to working with small enterprises and reducing our roadmap to smaller number of actions. But I find although there are more SMEs, the impact of the bigger ones has is slightly more impact you know, per business. So if we can make a good difference there, then we can create a lot of movements elsewhere in communities. I think one example of that is nature positive. So if you've got business um, willing to offset using um, money for biodiversity, You can create a whole project in a community with a bigger business Mm -hmm. based in biodiversity, which I think is a big on the ground action that everyone can see and buy into.
0: And you mentioned earlier about an interactive roadmap. And um, I I work with the University of Cambridge and and delivered quite a lot of roadmaps on their behalf. So it'd be really interesting, I'm sure, for our listeners to know what exactly does your interactive roadmap look like and, and how does it support the work you do with your clients?
1: Right. OK. Um, well, quite difficult without showing it on the screen, but um, I can definitely describe it. And it's interesting to hear of other roadmaps um, out there. So um, I was just having a think about my internal company initially and how what I could do to be business positive something that I'm moving more and more towards. So um, I had a business positive book that I found and it inspired the roadmap. And I thought, well, we've got carbon, but my knowledge of sustainability says to me that we're not all just about carbon, we're about biodiversity and social value and all the other pillars of sustainability, economic income generation, et cetera. So and because they all overlap, the roadmap really has to show that. So we often started with the UN goals, down to the sort of government policy because we work across a, f- a few countries now so it's just um what policy do we have in the country that's really steering this uh, climate and nature emergency then we would drill down into this carbon footprint so it's an interactive one page map you can it makes it all convenient in one place so you can click on year one what was our footprint year two have we met our target for year three it all pops out of this one one page roadmap. Then as you go down from the carbon, you've got your uh, hierarchy triangle, which essentially you can click on each layer. The first layer would be avoid, minimise, reduce, offset. And at the bottom, we have business positive. So as you click on each of the lines in the triangle, you have the actions that will help you deliver those elements. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, there was no Nature Positive, COP15 hadn't happened yet, etc. So in my Business Positive at the bottom, I had biodiversity and social uh, value because I really felt they were being left out of the carbon equation. And that's all so intrinsic, you know, circular economy crosses both areas. So um, now I would probably move biodiversity and carbon up on a par um, as we have 15 targets for Nature Positive. Um, And baseline both of them in statistics. And then when we get to business positive at the bottom, we would have the over and above. At this time, it's social value um, in particular that might then move up to something we calculate in the future. But at the moment, things like living wage, looking at what we can do in communities, for charities. There are uh, social credit platforms out there where businesses can report on what they're doing in terms of backing certain charities and how many credits each year they've put towards that. So that's sort of what my roadmap looks like. It will all go down, flow into the triangle of actions, and then all the offsets that you can calculate and measure where you're at, essentially.
0: Sounds like a really sophisticated uh, tool, Anna. Thank thank you for taking the time to explain it. Thank you very much indeed. Perhaps um, you talked there about um, the, if you like, the breadth of the topic or subject of sustainability and the fact that, The UN has 17 uh, sustainability development goals and lots of actions within each of those 17 uh, categories. Um, But looking more generally, what do you think are the challenges, the big challenges that all of us face in achieving a much more sustainable planet in the future? what what's what are the obstacles what are the challenges how can we how can we start to to really make a difference because seems to me that we're doing a lot of talking not you and I we are at the moment <laughs> hopefully. but I, I, hopefully we are doing stuff um we're taking action um but I don't see those actions necessarily in the big stage what what's holding us back <laughs> Yes,
1: such a good question with, with so many smaller answers, but I'll, I'll give it a go. I think I think you're right. I think absolutely, action is one of the concerns. We've got strategies, and it has. We've, we've come to the party late. Let's be honest. We, we, the momentum's come late for the nature and climate emergency, but the momentum is there, and that's the real positive. It's really fueling through businesses, um, and it's it's fueling through charities and non profits. also feeling through regulation but I think what we've got is we've got the strategies we now need to action it we need to prove that we're seeing when we walk outside we're seeing what we've vision what our vision is on the ground and I think that's what communities respond to and and all of us to be honest is why we we do the job so I think in terms of um action I think we need to act faster we need to we need to act we need to sort of bring in non-usual partners and smaller businesses and not sort of discount them and always work in traditional ways but I think we need to ask the right questions so we can have we can have speed but we also need some haste in working out you know what's the ethos of the company um when we implement renewables for instance are we thinking properly about it so with that impact assessment head-on which I find advantageous it's we need solar but do we put it across three fields or do we put it on um car portals on the roofs you know for instance the whole of Heathrow airport could be covered in you know, solar panels and car portals, but it's looking at, there, there are lots of little minutiae about that, you know, the angles, et cetera, but we need to think about, this renewable is not good or bad, it's the way we implement it, and it's the way we think about things, but we need to get started, you know, we need to actually try things, pilot things, even if it's on a smaller scale. And I'm seeing it around me, I've moved to the Southwest recently, and I am seeing wonderful regenerative farming, farm shops that have diversified and have solar panels, um, and actually recycling their refrigerator heat back into their energy. So it's very much, that's great. You're seeing these set businesses doing it, but we need it to become the norm. So I think more action, but ask the right questions and implementation. I think the other things are um, people traditionally are are scared. They don't fully understand the concept. So they sometimes think green growth or green concepts mean no growth, which it doesn't. Green growth, you know, a whole new industry that could be sort of better than where we are now. Our industry as we see it is, you know, um, arguably coming to an end in the traditional sense of the, uh, the you know, how much supply we have of traditional materials, shall I say, finite materials. So it's all about being renewable so that we can keep running these um, businesses and this green growth into the future. Um, I think there needs to be more partnerships, as I was saying earlier, between sort of bigger and smaller consultancies. Don't get too wrapped up in the commercials or the contracts, the traditional ways that they need to be well thought out. But I think just, just give it a go. Um, That way you can upskill one another, um, build trust and deliver collaboratively. I think I'm seeing a lot of movement there. I don't want it all to be negative because I think where there are challenges, there are also solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I try to stay non-political. I think sustainability outcomes, what I focus on. So it doesn't matter who I'm working with. I still want the same outcomes delivered properly. So I think it's key not to get too bogged down in... um, Always asking a political question. Sometimes just concentrate on what needs to be delivered. Um, but I do think that everybody needs to create momentum. So more and more partnerships. Everybody needs to push forward, regardless of what's happening in the external around them, um, in the best way possible. Try not to um, sort of lose ambition and positivity. Try and try and keep going. Find ways to keep going. Um, but it would be wonderful if, you know, <laughs> we could see more action on the ground in all in all sectors, political, business, charities, etc. Um, I think globally, there's a little bit of um, preconceptions about things like the UN, possibly, or the Western world. And I think what we could do is just appreciate, I've been working with some people in Uganda and talking to people on the ground and saying, actually, I can help you interpret what this actually means. Whatever you think of that, put it put it to the side, what we can make these mean for us is this. So you've got your framework, and it is just that. It's a basis, it's a framework. But in terms of what you want, what you and I want to see delivered on the ground together, um, we want to see, you know, food security, energy security, flood resilience, all these things. Um, we can map them to the UN goals in terms of the language and measurements we use, but don't get, don't get bogged down too much. Just think about the outcomes you want and then it doesn't have to be political. You're still achieving what you need for your country, I think. Um, yeah, and uh, as I mentioned before, I think green jobs need to be better paid. I think we can create a much better multiplier effect if we have the support for people doing really hard work on the ground, especially at the grassroots level, um, delivering conservation things, the COP15 agenda, the national parks, etc. And then once they know what they're doing, they're training somebody else. You can train somebody else. You can train somebody else. So I think just respecting the, um, the industry sector a bit more as it, akin to an engineer or something else is, is really, really important. And it's something I know that teams struggled with, say, 10 years ago. It is changing, which is great, um, definitely through COVID. Um, but I think we need to support those um, green solutions really and be more collaborative between all, all multidisciplinary um actors, basically. Um, I think that the final thing I'd just say is be holistic. Um sustainability, as I said, is not just carbon, it's not just biodiversity, it's not one thing. It could be it's a whole system.
0: Yeah, I think I, I tend to focus on uh business models. Um and, and my feeling is that um, the point you made about green growth is real growth, uh, it, I, I totally support that view because I see that what we need out of business are new business models that solve environmental and social problems economically and don't create them. So it's not that we're stopping our fundamental development of our economics that we've known for many, many years. It's how we go about making that profit. It's how we go about achieving that growth and creating prosperity for people, which is what they crave. I mean, we, we in the West are uh, a very fortunate to have a standard of living that we have. But there's lots of people in the world who don't have that standard of living, as we know. And they aspire to have that. And that's what will fuel growth as well as population growth itself. So I think there are many factors that will, will push growth.
1: Exactly. I mean, if you just take, again, as an example, or any country um, that has less development than ourselves, let's not let, let's not um, make the same mistakes you know they need you need to partner with someone who knows what they need in the country on the ground obviously but I think you know let's let's help and say these are the mistakes we made we've run out of x we're in danger of y um how can we help you develop and achieve a higher standard of living than you've ever experienced but in a green way and how can we almost you know we're having to retrofit you can do it along the way um and as you say, you can take a very careful look at operational um, and sustainability benefits and try and gain advantage points on both. So it doesn't have to mean that you operationally suffer because you become sustainable. If anything, today's market, you need to be sustainable to reach longevity, in my opinion. Um, and also it sort of feels good when you get started. So.
0: Yeah. So. Just finally, Anna, I wanted to ask you about uh, the other activity that you're involved in. So again, it's uh, ACM Global Sustainability Action uh, CAKE or Community Initiative. Um, what exactly is that and why did you start that?
1: Good question. Um, right, well, I set up a, a non actually in 2022, the, the ACM Global Sustainability Action COC. And what it is, is a community interest company. So um, I essentially declared that everything that I delivered through that company would be in the interest of the community. Now, my existing business does do that due to my ethos and the way that we work and operate. But globally as well, and in particular, um, nonprofits are sort of more well supported, if you like. There's more trust in them, in their objectives, especially when partnering in a brand new country. And I think CICs are becoming more and more uh, accepted now because there's sort of a less governance structure, um, and um, there is a non-profit, you know, clause. You're not able to sell the company at the end, and you know, have have vested interests, um, but you can pay a salary. And you know, in the way that we have the world set up, people do need to earn in order to be sustained. So it allows you to to pay your group to do the work, but not reap you know all these profits, such as a business might. Um, and so what we have set up is, um, it's following the same positive sustainability agenda, so it's delivering social outcomes, the environmental ones, in terms of reducing carbon and increasing biodiversity, but it's also looking at social structures, um, healthcare and income generation, so it's sort of saying, you know, we might have a regenerative agriculture structure, we might find ways to improve resilience through water supply. But through that growth and through those systems, we can also create income generation. And there's a number of ways we've outlined how we do that um, through the new markets and um, agronomy, et cetera. And then, um, you know, really we want to make a difference in the end for people, wildlife, and planet. That's that's why we set up. Um, we are um, independent and, as I say, partnering with companies, uh, with countries. Um, so we're looking at organizations in those countries on the ground so that we get the perspective of what's needed alongside the international perspective on where are we going with sustainability and how can you avoid our mistakes, as I was saying earlier. And I think we're looking at donors, we're looking at um, company CSR. So um, where a company wants to uh, give that percentage to a charity in terms of their social obligations, which is increasing in the planning um, process, um, they can actually support us to deliver that project on the ground and we can provide those audited reports on what's been achieved. Um, so essentially, that's that's what we're trying to do at the moment. And I think the reason for setting up was, as I said about the business positive roadmap, it sort of fueled my thinking about giving back more. So you have got the profit arm, but you've also got something business positive that you're doing on the side. Um, it's not possible to merge the two into one company. So we have set up two very distinct, clean uh, companies, one for profit and one non-profit.
0: Thank you very much, Anna. And um, how many employees have you got uh, now in the two companies that you run?
1: Well, the CIC is at the proposal. We've written a proposal. and um, We started delivering ch- uh, charity uh, non profit work in, in Uganda, such as sporting schools, etc. Um, At the moment, I've got um, an a organization I'm partnering with, which has volunteers. Um, so we're not employed, we're a partnership. Um, And I am working with an agronomist in Uganda on my side who also volunteer at this stage because we have not got the funding at this stage, um, having just set up in terms of the non-profit. With the for-profit, I'm the main permanent employee. I've had two interns, um, possibly on a third. And then I have an associate network of up to about 150 um, different specialists or consultants across the EIA, ISO and other sustainability sectors. So what we find quite advantageous is to pull in the person, the right person at the right time is how I summarise that. Um, right. So it, to put that sort of in real terms, if you need a nature-based solutions person for six months, you wouldn't want to hire a permanent ecologist for that project. So it's quite a nice structure. Um, we do operate technology agreements as well. Um, and uh, so where we joint refer, um, I refer a particular technology, they refer the consultancy services. We also operate that with carbon uh, credits and other systems. So our network's large, our reach is large and our permanent employees are low, but our flexible adaptable associate network is really quite extensive.
0: Thank you. (coughs) Sounds a very sensible approach as with everything you do, Anna. (laughs) um, Thank thank you very much indeed for for sharing your experiences and, and your ideas and thoughts around Uh, sustainability with us today. Um, You really do have a remarkably sustainable business and career uh, and uh, lots in front of you, I have no doubt at all. Um, So thank you for your contribution today and thank you to the audience for joining us today. We really appreciate you listening to our members talk about what they do and how they do it. We'll be bringing you more podcasts in the coming months. Please visit our website, which again is uh, worldsustainabilitycollective.com, to follow our activities and uh, tune in to our podcast, Purpose Planet Podcasts, in the future. Thank you. Goodbye.